Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Locked On Heat is a daily podcast covering the Miami Heat and the NBA. So subscribe and get us every morning in your podcast feed. Make us a part of your daily commute, your daily routine. We'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you hear, go to iTunes, rate us and review us. It really helps our uh, ranking on the iTunes charts. It helps other people discover the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Now, enjoy the show. You are Locked On Heat. Your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to the show. I'm Wes Goldberg here with David Ramil. We're going to talk about Tyler Johnson's um, case for six million a year. We're going to break that down. There's been some rumblings about that and uh, check in on the Miami Heat's pace since that's been um, one of the big things going into the season we wanted to take a moment to talk about it because we're not recapping the game. We're not previewing the game because we have a nice long break in between the Kings game and uh, Friday night's game against Toronto. But first, we're going to start with Ray Allen's retirement because we didn't get a chance to talk about that yesterday, but it's definitely worth getting into because he's played such a huge part in uh, in the Heat's franchise, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, despite the fact that he was only here for two seasons, he was certainly a player that had a lot of cachet attempt, you know, attached to his name. He was clearly a Hall of Famer, although I saw some discussion as to whether or not that was debatable. I, I think largely it's not. Yeah. Sorry? That's ridiculous. He's absolutely a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think part of the reason for that line of thinking is that people tend to think of him as a complementary piece of the big three in Boston, not necessarily a guy who was carrying the scoring load, even as Kevin Garnett's reputation as a, a generational-type player has continued Ray Allen was more of a, a just a great scorer, athletic player, and kind of, you know, he, he took some hits as far as his ability to defend players later on in his career, and he was known mostly as just a guy who could come in there sporadically and hit those big shots because, you know, his his range, his acuity from, from long range never waned, and so I think that's kind of how maybe, you know, recency bias has affected how a lot of people perceive his overall career. But they don't remember the kind of player he was when he was first drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, just a guy who would just do a lot of everything. You know, he was a great passer, great, yeah. great scorer, great dunker, very athletic. Um, and, and that continued for years before he even went to Boston. So I think that's just that's just part of how people tend to think, you know, they don't see something. What have you done for me lately, I guess? Yeah, and I, I would argue the fact that he is a generational player because – it was Reggie Miller and then him, really, that um, made the three-point shot like your first tool out of the out of the bucket. You know what I mean? Mm. Like before those two guys, there really wasn't a there weren't players that that modeled the the modern day Steph Curry where the three-point shot was the shot he wanted, right? And in getting him to take any other shot was almost a win. And that was really see, the but, case in Reggie Miller and, and and then later a little bit later on Ray Allen, right? But like you said, Ray Allen didn't but, start that way. He really came into that. But that's still right. a huge piece I, I see, of his legacy in the league. I, I mean, I have a kind of a problem that, that use of the term. And, you know, again, not to knock you or, 
anything like that. But generational yeah. seems to be one that's like kind of all inclusive. And to me, it means exactly what it's supposed to mean. It's like this is a guy who's once in a lifetime, you know, once in a generation. So okay, that's fair. And I think that's a label that can that can apply to like a guy like LeBron who changes the game in so many ways. I don't think it even applies to a guy like Dwayne Wade, as great as he is. I don't think he's a generational type player. You know what I'm saying? You know, there are guys that are just that transcend the game because they're able to do so many things. I think for Kevin Garnett, it applies somewhat because a lot of defenses changed because of the way he played the game from the perimeter, even though he was seven feet tall, the way he was able to defend a number of players, even on the perimeter as a seven footer, that changed the game. I don't know if that necessarily applies to Ray Allen. Again, this isn't to discredit what has absolutely been a, a great Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even then when you mentioned that his ability to shoot and the Reggie Miller comparison is, a, is a comparison is an apt one because a lot of people tend to think of their games in similar terms. But I think Ray Allen was the better player. I think he was a better defender early more on complete. and I think he was just a, a little bit more athletic. Yeah, I think he was just the more complete player. And, and I don't yeah. want to get too much into his Hall of Fame credentials or what the generational term means because it's really it's a definition thing. It's like MVP. Like, okay, what's most valuable? What, how do you exactly define that? And then who do you award it to from there on? But um, really just talking about Ray Allen, you're right. I mean, came into the league. was A, a lot of people now tend to look at him. The dude played until he was 38 years old. Like, he's going to go through phases of, of his career. I don't remember yeah. him playing for the Bucks, but I've seen – videos and highlights and stuff like that. I, I The Ray Allen I remember was the one that um, was traded to the Boston Celtics, and I really remember watching him that first year. Um, mm-hmm. and, and his ability to just open up the floor for them and, and just really score a lot. Like You don't even have to have a, a sophisticated uh, uh, understanding of basketball. I mean, the dude just like shot really well, and he was super smooth, and you just you look at every locker room he's ever been in or every player that he's touched, I mean, he's still, and we've talked about this before, but we have he, the two, he's only in Miami for what, two years. And, and right. those two years, what his, his influence permeated that locker room, permeated that organization to the fact that Udonis Haslam still talks about it. There was a piece in the Miami Herald, um, where Haslam was quoted as like, you know, he was, he had been, he considered himself a veteran by the time, Ray Allen even got onto the the Heat team, and mm-hmm. even Ray Allen had uh, had a, a million things to teach him about health and nutrition and fitness. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, these guys learned so much from Ray Allen and, and still take that stuff going forward. And you look at LeBron now in Cleveland, taking that stuff to Cleveland, taking that stuff to specifically Kyrie Irving, saying like, "You need to get, you think you're in shape, you need to get in shape," type things. I mean, just his influence in the players and and the coaches. Eric Spolstra had a great quote. Uh, talking about um, Ray Allen in that Miami Herald piece, the same one Haslam was quoted in, uh, talking about how he walks into practice um, and sees him laying on the floor. This was Ray Allen's drill. He would lay on the floor, pop up, backpedal, and then have the presence of mind to have his feet set and not out of bounds and have a coach throw him the ball. Uh, And this is the quote Spolster said afterwards. I said, uh, that seemed like a crazy drill. Why would he do something like laying down in the middle of the floor? He said, it's extreme, but I want to prepare myself for when I'm in the lane and hit the floor or I'm on the ground and there's an offensive rebound so I have the fundamentals to be able to backpedal, stay in bounds, and be able to knock down shots. We don't even have to tell listeners of this show exactly right. what he was practicing for, what shot he was practicing for. That is, that is incredible. And that was one of the first practices Eric Spolster Solomon. So it was a full... 
you know, season before Ray Allen even joined the team. Or, or before yeah, he made that it, shot, I mean. Exactly. And, and, I mean, obviously, that provides so much context for how he's respected and remembered by E fans. But, you know, the, the Players' Tribune article where he officially announced his retirement after two seasons of kind of sitting out. And, and that's, that's another thing, right? That's a, a hidden aspect. Even after two years of not playing competitive basketball, was there any doubt that had the Warriors or the Spurs or any or the Cavs, even any contending team, had they called him, was there any doubt that Ray Allen would have been able to get in shape and get ready to play the season? I, I don't think so. I think that's, a, that's an incredible testament to the kind of incredible he uh, whole, know, health and fitness. And he spends his whole day in an organic fast food restaurant. He's <laughs> <laughs> not sitting I mean, around yeah. eating Cheetos. Yeah, I remember seeing like shortly after his last season here in 2014 and in the wake of the whole LeBron departure to Cleveland and everything else. And then we would start thinking we would start hearing rumblings that maybe could they bring back Ray Allen and things of this sort. And he would uh, he didn't use Twitter. He wasn't a Twitter guy. He was an Instagram guy. And he would post things of like him running on the Rickenbacker Causeway and Kibis gain and trying to keep in shape and setting personal bests. And here he was at 39 years old and, and he was still in phenomenal shape and he was still pushing himself. He just, he thrived on that. And, and what really stood out amongst many things that really stood out in the Players' Tribune article was uh, how his life as a, a military brat, mm. you know, kind of helped shape that destiny for him because he always felt out of place because he grew up in Europe, uh, you know, he spent time, you know, all of his childhood going from base to base, and he never quite felt acclimated. And so by the time he finally moved back to the States as a teenager, ready to start high school, he should all read this. If, if, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's it's worth a read. And it's just interesting how, you know, here he was as a kid who kind of didn't really fit in. You know, he talks about cultural differences between blacks and whites and the way he spoke that a lot of people pointed out, boy, you speak proper, how it stood out right. amongst North Carolinian dialects and things of this sort, and so that he would feel alone. But that the one sanctuary he always had was the, the, the silence, the peace of the gym where he would just knock down shot after shot after shot. And everybody, like you pointed out, all the Hall of Famers that he's played with throughout his career, you know, guys that have, you know, had, had great careers in their own rights, look to him as the standard bearer for hard work and dedication. And that's something that really stands out. I think that's amazing to think of a player like that who has been able to influence uh, so many other greats just because of his longevity, because of his dedication and every other aspect of his, his playing career. Right. And, and just the message, the, the, let, it, the, the retirement post in the Players' Tribune was written as a letter mm -hmm. to his 13-year-old self, but it really... Like if you're a young, I would just kept thinking if I'm a young basketball player, um, or rather, let's put it this way: if I'm a coach of a youth basketball team or a high school basketball team or even a college basketball team, sure, I'm taking that player's tribune article and I'm printing it off and I'm giving it to every single one of my players because, you know, in the beginning he talked a lot about personal stuff about you know getting on that bus going into middle school, um, not having any friends, really not even so much, uh, not not. You know, understanding even at that level that he really just wanted to be on the basketball court, and that's where he found his right. peace, as you were saying. But um, look towards the end, in, in the middle, and the end of that article, really start talking about habits and mentioned guys like LeBron right. and Wade and and KG and Paul Pierce, and how it's not just him. It's like, hey, it's not just me. Look at these other greats. These these probably more household names than even me. Um, these are how they got there. You see LeBron. 
you know, on Samsung Galaxy commercials, you see Wade out there, you know, doing fashion things. You see Kevin Garnett with, you know, as loud and as vulgar even as he can be. And, and Paul Pierce dressing up as what's-his-face on, on the sideline now, um, riding the bench. Rick uh, James. Rick James, that's what it was, yeah. How did I forget that? Rick James. But, like, these guys yeah. behind the scenes, like, you don't see what they put – you don't see the work that they put in. And these are top – like, all four of those guys, top 50 all-time players, right? Like – yeah, you know, yeah, probably being the lowest top top sixty. Right. Um, you know, so this is uh, that that message of it's habits, it's habits. It's when you don't want to get back on the floor, get back on the floor. It's when you don't want to wake up on five at five thirty. I got up at five thirty in college, and then I put on a suit and tie and went to my speech class or whatever. Like, right. I, you know, and, right. and just all this stuff. I thought that was just an incredible message, and it got me like revved up. I I wanted to get out of my seat and just be like, I'm gonna go hit the courts. I'm gonna go make the NBA players like. I was ready, but I thought it was a really, yeah. cool, really cool letter. No, no, I, I felt the same way, to be honest with you. It's kind of funny that you'd think that way, but I mean, that you bring it up. But, you know, yesterday we heard news about a, a very well-known blogger being kind of out of work. And I thought to myself, you know, what the hell does that mean for even me and my attempts at trying to build a career out of it? And then I saw this letter. I was like, you know what? It's never too late. Just keep working at it. And I wondered, you know, what would would you say to your 14 year old self if you could write a letter like the player's tribune post don't spend so much time playing madden that's what i would tell my 14 year old self <laughs> yeah i think a lot of us would be on that same boat but yeah I mean, go it's outside funny and you practice know, obviously... more free throws like ray allen <laughs> <laughs> you know and I, I obviously hindsight's always 2020 but i mean he had the the kind of presence of mind to realize that the the, the level of dedication the hard work was going to to translate some way. And I always remember this one particular thing about, you know, the correlation between success, like for people in business and, and, and any field really, but people who are most successful, you know what the one correlation is? It isn't high grades. You know what it is? What? Perfect attendance. Huh. Perfect attendance. Because it's it's the going in day in and day out when you've got a cold or you don't feel well or you're nervous about a big test or anything like that. It's just to keep pushing through it. And that's what guarantees success more than anything else. A plus students can, you know, they can fall ass backwards into good grades just by being, you know, naturally intelligent or whatever. But it's the dedication. And, and Ray Allen is a perfect example of that. So, you know, obviously, like you, we talked about, you know, the incredible influence he's had, the, the way he he shaped. You know, another Twitter question that I saw last yesterday during the, the whole announcement of his retirement is how would you remember him for you? It's Boston. I'm not so sure for me because I saw him in all those different eras. But you know, he, he was just able to have an impact. And, and even today, you, you could imagine him still being able to have an impact on any team if he were to decide to join it. So uh, it's an impressive career and, and certainly a Hall of Fame worthy one. I mean, for me, uh, when you say Ray Allen, the first thing I think of is the shot, the game six shot. That's sure. And that's sure. probably the, that's the biggest shot of his career. It's one of the biggest shots in NBA history. And I don't even think that's absolutely. Cool. I mean, so. Um, I'm trying to think of any other, I mean, we, that shot and then his overall approach to the game had such a huge impact on the heat. And I imagine just sure. so many shots and, and so much of what he did impacted every team he was on. Um, absolutely. Well, so. You and I talked about, I mean, you and I talked about the, the importance of that shot, right. not just in the microcosm of the game six and how it swayed. You know the, the 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 tide in Miami's favor, but the overarching impact on that team and the league in general. If if Ray Allen doesn't hit that shot, it rims out. 
all of a sudden the the Heat lose Game Six, the Spurs go on to their title. Mm-hmm. Now we are in year three of the Big Three era in Miami, and they've gone one and two in that span. And arguably, you could say that maybe they were able to win in 2012 because the Thunder choked, and and because it was a, a lockout shortened season. And then, you know, what does that mean? Is this a team that, despite all the hype of 2010, couldn't live up to the the expectations for their championship success? I mean, maybe you trade Chris Bosh in 2013. Maybe LeBron opts out early or, you know, maybe something, maybe a whole slew of different things happen. And look what happened even after that shot. You know, in 2014, you got a Spurs team that was arguably one of the best and most dynamic in NBA history in the way they moved the ball and they were a pass happy offense one that we hadn't seen in such a long time one that shifted offenses from more iso heavy to that pass rotation kind of you know smooth you know, moving the ball uh, and one that impacted or influenced you know the the, the warriors in a couple, the last couple seasons you know and, and the way they changed the game and so much hinged on that one shot it was it was incredible not just not just the beauty of the shot the moment itself but the the Kind of like a ripple effect in NBA history. Yeah, absolutely, the absolutely. Yeah, domino effect in the NBA basket. Um, <laughs> I, I, I stretched for that one, but I had. To. We're never gonna let that that one die. I mean, we're gonna continue. But those dominoes are gonna keep falling in the basket for the rest of our podcasting career. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Never-ending domino basket. Um, all right, let's take a quick break to just shout out to the Locked On Podcast. Network, the the great network that Locked On Heat is a part of. If I don't know how many of our listeners remember us when we were the Heat Check before the greatness of Locked On Heat. Uh, it's only really been a few months since we've done this, our first full season as Locked On Heat. Um, but before this, we were the Heat Check. Locked uh, David Locke, our boss, found our podcast, picked us up, said, "We I want to make you guys Locked On Heat," and we're like, "Hey, that's a way better name. That sounds good." Um, and we joined this group, and now Locked On Podcast Network has a team for every NBA – or a podcast for every NBA team and every NFL team. Right. Uh, it's the fastest-growing podcast network on the planet of Earth. And um, if you are a fan of Miami Heat, I imagine you're probably a fan of the Miami Dolphins or a fan of the NBA in general. Or you play fantasy basketball or you play fantasy football or – you want to hear about what the Knicks are doing because you are just interested, or you want to see what the Cavaliers are doing because you're so petty and you want to hate listen to them. Mm. There is a show for all of those things. So go subscribe to Locked on Heat if you're not subscribed already. Daily podcasts from experts like David and I, not just on this podcast, but on all the podcasts. I mean, experts every day. We're experts. You listen to us every day on your morning commute on the way to work. You become an expert. That's how that works, people. So subscribe to Locked on Heat. Explore the Locked On Podcast Network on Audio Boom and find more podcasts that interest you and just make us a part of your daily routine. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, even for those listeners that we have some, arguably, uh, from outside the country, you know, there's always the great connection of fantasy basketball. And, and our good friend Josh Lloyd, friend of the program, mm-hmm. runs a, a great Locked On Fantasy podcast for people who are interested in that. So he's based in Australia, and he's wonderful. We, we had him on the show before the start of the season, and he's always a great listen as well. So there's just so many different options for people who love sports, be it basketball, football, or any sport. But there's just so much to, to listen to. And, and what a great network that we're proud to be a part of. Yeah, and we're going to – Dave and I will be hosting Locked On Dominoes in the next few months. We'll be starting that up too. So That is exciting. I'm really excited. It'll be better than Locked On Heat, that's for sure. 
Um, well, I, I don't know about all that, but I mean, it'll be fun. <laughs> Let's talk about Tyler Johnson as sixth man of the year because there's been some Twitter rumblings about it. We're only four games into the season, but it's worth talking about, right? Like, sure, that's going to be his role this season, or will it? Let's let's talk about that because Josh Richardson still hasn't played a game for them. He is. Mm. We're assuming he's going to be the starter when he gets into the when he gets back onto the court, uh, recovering from yeah. his uh, MCL sprain. So he's going to come back. Presumably be, take that starting role from Deion Waiters. So Deion Waiters now moves to the bench. I think Tyler Johnson is still first off the bench in that case. What do you think? That is probably going to be the case. I just think he brings more energy off the bench than even Deion would. Now, it's a role that Deion held in Oklahoma City. Um, and so he, he's a good option as well. And, and what we saw yesterday, at least some of the, the rumblings from the, the coaching staff about uh, Tyler Johnson's impact in overtime and everything else. They just love him, um, you know, coming off the bench as a, a kind of closer and that it, it determines it, what determines who will be the closer on a game to game basis is matchups and things of this sort. So clearly Spolstra does incorporate those thinking. We've, we've criticized him in the past or at least pointed out the fact that his, you know, rotations are difficult to, to, you know, you know, uh, guess what they'll might be on a night to night basis. Um, he obviously looks at matchups and things of that sort, but I think he feels comfortable going to a guy like Tyler who can you know, fill either guard spot and just moreover fills the, the rotation with an incredible sense of energy. There's his, his commitment on defense, his athleticism, able to drive to the basket, his, his you know, quality shooting from the perimeter. There's a lot that he can do there, and he can be a playmaker as well. So I think at this point he's probably more of a steady impact on the on game basis than, than Dion is. So I think probably I, and, right. I think Tyler comes Dion, off the bench first. I don't, you know, depending on what's going on with the power forward position, and you and I, we don't think Luke Babbitt has been as bad as I think a lot of people think he's been. You know, his right. and Gord Dragic has even said as, said as much recently, yeah. saying that he, he appreciates Babbitt's ability to spread the floor, and that's something that a lot of fans don't see. Uh, right. And that's absolutely true, and that's reflected in the in the box uh, plus the, the, the box score and the plus minus on a nightly basis. Uh, but still, let's say the Babbitt thing doesn't work out as much as the Heat want it to. There is, there is a world where you just move Justice Winslow to the four, and start Dion Waiters at the three, so to speak. But really, it would be a three guard unit, and you're in, and Josh Richardson's there, and you could still mm-hmm. take and or bring Tyler Johnson off the bench as a six man in that role as well. Um, either spelling Goran Dragic or Richardson or Waiters at that point, um, but. So I think there's more opportunities for Tyler Johnson to hang on to that six man role, whereas Dion, when you're I do th- you're going to bring him off the bench most of the season. I do think that's going to be the case. Um, you can bring him in as the as you know Justice Winslow's backup almost, or the third, or I guess in this case it would be the fourth guard off the bench, or you could sit Winslow, move Justice uh, Josh Richardson down to the three, and bring Dion in. Uh, while Tyler Johnson is already at the point guard position, or or whatever, but um, or Deion Waiters could become the backup point guard, where you rest Josh Richardson early and bring in Tyler Johnson because it seems like Tyler Johnson, at least at the end of games, he's closing games as the shooting guard. So maybe the Heat would be more comfortable with him coming in as a six man shooting guard, uh, alongside Goran Dragic, and then you bring on Dion. Uh, as the backup to Goran Dragic almost, because Dion's been really impressive at times facilitating the ball, maybe even more so than Tyler Johnson has. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. I think 
I think also the possibility is that Dion coming off the bench would probably take the minutes away from Roddy Magruder that he's filled in over yeah. the first four games of the season. I mean, even if he hasn't necessarily, even if Smolster hasn't gone to guys like Derek Williams and others who we projected to be a starter at the beginning of the season, uh, he's brought Magruder in in each of the first four games, and that's that's been an eye-opener. Uh, he's a guy who can fill either the two or three. He defends at a high level. He can shoot from the perimeter, although his shooting has been a bit off so far. Um, you know, he, he shot with great accuracy while he was in the D-League for Sioux Falls, and, and we think that he'll probably continue to grow and that you know and develop here in Miami. He's probably just getting himself acclimated to the NBA level quality. But no uh, Russian yeah, body I think, Magruder either. He's locked in for three years. Great contract. Good point. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, uh, something to look out for there because he'll probably be a part of the team for years to come. And he's a great piece. You know, he's one another one of those guys that they were able to develop in house. And you know, I wrote about this recently with the the lack of draft picks that the team has in the future they need to be able to continue to mine guys like this they did it with tyler they did it with hassan and it's worked out really well in both those cases and, and we expect rodney to be the next guy who, who takes that leap for miami so but tyler johnson um, specifically and his let's so we we think he's going to be the sixth man at some point and really the sixth man is is kind of it's not exactly like the sixth person to play for the team. Sometimes it's the seventh guy, but you just name him sixth man of the year, right? Like Sean Livingston got right. votes. He wasn't the fir- first guy off the bench for the Warriors last year. But um, we do think he's going to be coming off the bench. And Tyler Johnson appreciates that role a little bit more than being a starter because he, uh, I think he said it before the Kings game, was talking about how you know coming off the bench allows him to come in because he could do so many different things. It allows right. him to watch the game and say, okay, this is where the Heat need me. This is where my team needs me, so I'm going to come in and do that. Or on another game, it might be something else, and I'm going to come in and do that. Um, but uh, his stats this year have been terrific, and I don't know if these are going to last, but might as well go over them. Uh, through four games, 15.3, 15.3 points a game on 53.5% shooting this season. Defensively, he's holding opponents to uh, more than half a percent below their regular season shooting average. A very, very good number. Um, he's been on the court to finish all four games, which is a huge... That's like one of the big things for six men to win this award. I mean, we've seen Iguodala do that. He's on the court in that death lineup to close the games. It helps right. It helps uh, when so many when so many viewers of basketball look at games they are looking at like these last two minutes, who steps up. You're looking at who's on the court there, obviously. Um, and then just this last Kings game, I mean, he's developed as a closer. I know we want to talk a little bit more about that. 11 of his 22 points came in the fourth quarter in overtime, really helped uh, the Heat win that game in overtime against the Kings last night. Yeah, you know, when I think of six men, especially in the most recent era, I think the most obvious name, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners feel the same way, is Jamal Crawford. And this is a guy who's, you know, mixed in. He's been mixed in as far as a starter, a guy coming off the bench primarily a bench player throughout his tenure with Los Angeles, but he's just a guy who comes in there, isn't necessarily strong defensively, but he's, you know, a very, very good scorer, willing to take really bad shots that he hits at an incredible high level. Although maybe, you know, that might've influenced his last, I think, I don't know. I guess it was a couple seasons ago when he won it or three seasons ago. I'm struggling to remember exactly when Crawford got it last, but I think it was three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, but that was a season that I think, you know, he, I think it was a lot of more of the name recognition as far as the six man, because there were probably other more qualified candidates, but just a guy who hits big shots and things of that sort. And I think Tyler does that. I mean, we saw if, if he continues to hit big shots the way he did last night, their reputation will grow from there. It doesn't hurt that, you know, ESPN just wrote a big um, profile on him 
and his contract, which is, you know, puts him in the public eye, one that he didn't expect to have, or, or I don't think point. a lot of people anticipated at the start of the season. But, you know, there he is. He's a big money man now. He's a well-known name in that sense. And all of a sudden, and that's you start hitting big people, shots. right? Because they're looking at him and saying, all right, you played 68 NBA games. You got your $50 million paycheck. It was in large part due to this booming salary cap and the Brooklyn Nets being absolutely insane. Sure. Let, let's see if you're worth this guy. And so far through four games, he's proven that he is worth the investment so far. And Absolutely. so that's going to put, that's going to take, you know, coaches and executives and stuff who vote on this. They're going to be like, all right, this guy's like, this guy might be the real deal. And, and so much of this has to do with reputation. You know, like I just mentioned Crawford's sense, you know, it's one that he'd earned in years past and that worked in his favor, even as he wasn't necessarily as productive as he had been in previously. Um, and, and I think, you know, this is, We'll, we'll see as other teams have to defend Tyler differently, whether or not they start to game plan around a guy like that, knowing he can come in there. And it's it's going to be difficult for him also in the sense that, you know, he's an unassuming looking player, right? You don't see him as being particularly big or athletic. Even a guy like Crawford is a little taller, lankier and able to rise up over taller defenders just because of the, the kind of crazy shots he's known to take yeah. throughout his career. And a flash, Tyler's a little bit more stable. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. The high crossover, things of that sort. Yeah. Tyler's more stable, more dependable, not necessarily as flashy. Still does the same kind of things that Crawford did. But, um, you know, we'll see whether or not his reputation starts to grow throughout the year. And I think a lot of that has to do with, like you just said, his role as a closer. If he's the guy moving forward and there's no reason why he can't be or at least complimentary to a guy like Dion or Goran, who we think are going to be the other candidates to, to take big shots down the stretch. I think there's no reason why Tyler can't start to build more of a reputation as a stellar six man. All right, so we think that he's got a legit chance this year. Then I think he does. I mean, you look at the guys who have won six man. Like there's been almost like a, a six man of the year crown kind of passed down. And I'll go sure. back to Manu Ginobili, but it's probably even. I don't know how long the six man of the award year has been around. I, I probably should know that, but I don't. But you know, you had kind of you kind of had Manu Ginobili kind of taking that that role and in, in winning awards. Then it was Crawford, and now more recently, it seems like Andre Iguodala is kind of taking that because of his role and his success of the Warriors. I Those always guys remember aren't going to be around, man. Tom no, Johnson yeah, to be the next one. That's that's a good point, and I always remember years, years, years back. Not that I really ever saw him play, but I don't know if you remember Vinny the Microwave. I can't even remember his last name now. Vinny oh, the Microwave. The micro- <laughs> I was assuming it was just the Microwave. No, 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 no. Vinny, I can't remember now what it is. Vinny the Microwave Johnson. He used to play for the Bad Boys Pistons. Okay. Maybe you saw that documentary in the Bad Boys. Yeah, I did. Uh, and, and for known for their scoring, even though they had Isaiah Thomas and everything else. I mean, he was he was a really big scorer off their bench. They had traded, uh, I want to say, Sidney Moncrief, who was a good starter for them. And then they traded him away. And they had the Microwave come in. And the reason why he earned the moniker was because he could heat things up very quickly at a time when microwave technology, this is going way back, when microwave technology wasn't necessarily a part of every home, he could heat things up very quickly. And so that's why he earned the nickname microwave. And it was just kind of this association with six men being guys who could provide an offensive boost off the bench. And I think we saw that for Ginobili, who wasn't always known for his defense. Um, you know, he was known for his flopping early on. And it's sort of, you know, that, that part of his game evolved. But then there was a transition there with you know Iguodala being a guy who does provide some offense, but just because of his overall impact, his passing, his rebounding, and particularly his defense, you know that changes the perspective of, of voters. I think in today's day and age, so maybe a guy like Tyler, without necessarily the big reputation, 
maybe people will see his impact on a team that doesn't have high expectations, but maybe throughout his play throughout the rest of the season, maybe he'll be able to put the Miami in playoff contention if that's the case. Uh, he does strengthen his case, I think, considerably. Let's check in on the pace for the Heat because that was a huge theme for us going into this season. Sure. Um, this team playing faster. They talked about it. Goran Dragic in particular looked forward to it. Um, so, let's see. 2016-17, this season, the Heat so far through four games have a pace of 98.3 possessions uh, uh, per 48 minutes. So that ranks 22nd in the NBA when you're looking mm. at when you're looking at it all completely. But nine teams have, are currently paced over last year's highest pace of 102, uh, which is basically the Kings and the Warriors. So that's what happens when you get a small sample size. You just get these extremes, these extreme outliers on either end. Um, there's also a lot of teams playing very slowly. But sure. for the most part, um, that 98.3 is right. That would have ranked uh, 12th in the NBA last season. And for reference, because I know that doesn't really mean much, the Heat are basically playing right now through four games. They're playing as fast as Portland, the Portland Trailblazers played last season, which yeah. in Portland is considered a high pace and space team. Yeah, and in comparison to the 95.8 possessions they played at last season, when that was a big complaint, especially when you have a player like Dwayne Wade and even Chris Bosh for the half the season he played, they tend to hold the ball, they slow things down. Um, you know, it was an older veteran team with Lou Alding, later on with Joe Johnson, etc. Um, they weren't necessarily known for their fast pace. They could play that at times, mm. but that wasn't necessarily a strong suit and something they did regularly. You know, you and I talked about before the start of season how we expected Goran to be able to push that pace and he's certainly done that I, I think others including Tyler Johnson have helped along that way and, and even Justice Winslow a guy that you don't necessarily assume Absolutely. is going to help push the pace but he's been able to pull down that rebound initiate the fast break and then look for a cutter like Waiters Tyler or even Hassan Whiteside uh, as, as a guy who's kind of you know trailing on the fast break and 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 it's led to some easy offense so it's something that Miami's clearly emphasizing and, and unlike the other teams that I think are, are so high in pace at this you know, early start of the season, I think Miami's is more going to be the mean through which they play f- for the rest of the year. I don't. I think other teams will regress, obviously, yeah. and other teams like Orlando, who play at such a low pace, will probably pick up once you know guys get acclimated to their roles. But I think Miami is going to continue to play at this pace and maybe even get higher. I mean, there has there has been a transition for a lot of the players here. When you think about the fact that you know Goran Dragic and, and and Hassan Whiteside were the only starters from last year's team. Justice wasn't a starter; he was a guy who got brought in off the bench. Waiters, Richardson, they weren't starters necessarily. Uh, Luke Babbitt wasn't part of the team either. So you've got all these guys who are still trying to figure out their roles and, and where people like to get their passes and things of that sort. How to push the pace? I think we'll start to see that. We'll start to see gets even getting better throughout the year. I think, I think they'll just continue to grow and develop in that sense. Absolutely, and I, and when Josh Richardson comes back, he's more of a catch-and-shoot sure. guy. Deion Waiters is probably slowing the pace up the most for the Heat this season. I don't want to pile on Deion Waiters because we're, we're very well known as a Deion Waiters Peninsula podcast. Um, but wow. he does slow down the pace a little bit and because he has a tendency to probe and do things that are, and create shots and do things that are extremely valuable, but that pace will increase. But we don't want to talk, you know, I don't want... When we talk about pace, I don't want pace and winning to be even related because you look at the the two uh, the two fastest teams last season were the Warriors, who won seventy three games, and the Kings, who are the Kings. 
right. didn't win anything close to 73 games. Um, right. So pace and winning aren't synonymous. They don't go hand in hand. That said, we're all in agreement here, the two of us and everybody that's listening, um, I assume, that a strong, our fast pace suits this roster really well. I do think that there's a ceiling to how fast you can play when you have Hassan Whiteside at center and then Willie Reed as the backup and you're playing a true center for 48 minutes. That's also a major strength of this Heat roster, but I don't think that they're going to get into that 102-101 type pace. Like they're not going to get, they're not going to be the fastest team in the league. I think this 98-99, it's going to be right around there. So I agree with you. I think this is going to be right, right where they're at for most of the season, which is really, really that's a really healthy pace in my opinion. Last sure. year they ranked 25th at, at basically 26 or, or uh, 96 possessions per 48 minutes. Increasing that by three or four possessions doesn't sound like much, but all of a sudden you're right, you're hovering right around the top 10 in the league. And again, you're as fast as what Portland was playing last year. And that was a huge part to why uh, the Trailblazers were able to surprise a lot of teams that end up making the playoffs in the Western Conference. Yeah, and, and that's a good point you bring up about the disparity between uh, the Warriors and the Kings. Just because you rush shots or push the ball up quickly doesn't necessarily translate into winning. And, you know, it, it helps when you have arguably the two best shooters in the league instead of Curry and Clay Thompson, not necessarily when you have the Marcus Cousins and Rudy Gay hoisting up shots. You know, that doesn't necessarily equate to winning the same way it does in, in Golden State. Um, and I think the strength of this team is not necessarily perimeter shooting, although we've seen that they have that capacity at times. They certainly did against the Kings. Um, but, you know, you have a, a guy who can finish at a high rate at the rim and Goran Dragic, certainly one that mirrors that in Hassan Whiteside. Uh, it's part of the development of Justice Winslow that we'd like to see him be able to finish more at the rim. And, and I think other players, Tyler Johnson, Dion Waiters, these are guys who attack, attack, attack. And and that's their strength. If it's not necessarily going to be, you know, perimeter shots all the time, it's going to be kind of a, a healthy balance throughout the year. And, and I think this is it's, it's an exciting thing to watch. I think a lot of people have been a little down on, on the team after Charlotte and maybe after letting a close one against San Antonio slip away. Um, even, you know, eking out a victory over Sacramento, a team that's not expected to make much damage in the Western Conference. But this is a more interesting team, I think, than the one that we saw last year. It doesn't have the same names, uh, recognition attached to it, but I think this is a fun, more fun team, certainly more exciting in that sense. And, um, and just to explore that Josh Richardson edition a little bit more, a lot of what goes into a into uh, that pace formula, so to speak, is transition opportunities because you're getting the ball on one end on defense with a steal or something, and then getting down on the floor on the next end. Whiteside mm-hmm. does help that by blocking shots and bounds, so he does do that. Winslow getting a defensive rebound and going down the floor, that helps the pace. Right. Richardson, when he comes in, Waiters has been a really good defender so far, but he's more of a sure. stay in front of you and not, not give up position type defender, while Josh Richardson is a longer... Uh, a longer guy who's going to gamble more and get more steals and stuff like that, I think that's going to increase their pace. And obviously the catch-and-shoot opportunities on the offensive end. And then these last couple of games, I've noticed Winslow handling the ball a lot more as the main facilitator, even when Goran Dragic is on the floor. And now sure. they're running Goran Dragic off of some motions and some screens and getting Dragic some catch-and-shoot opportunities, which really helped him hit, what, I think it was four three-pointers against the Kings? Five. Five three-pointers against Five or the seven. Yeah, I mean, all of them yeah. were on catch-and-shoot opportunities, I, I believe. And 
and that was a lot of you know Winslow facilitating or somebody else facilitating. So they're exploring that option more. So you have another catch and shoot guy on the roster, only going to help that pace more. And I agree with you completely. Aesthetically, this team is going to be a lot of fun to watch, even more so once Josh Richardson comes back. And maybe even more so once Josh McRoberts gets back, but we already talked about that. We don't have to explain that, but just wanted to mention <laughs> Um Okay. I think that's all we got, right? Absolutely, yeah. A lot to look forward to in big week. Uh, we've got a matchup against the Toronto Raptors on Friday at 7.30 at the American Airlines Arena. I think it's at home, right? It's not yes. in Toronto? It's at home. Okay, and then you'll be, uh, we'll no, be previewing it, that. I'm sorry, is, is it at Toronto? Let's find out. <laughs> we should probably know that. Oh, sorry. I thought I thought you knew that off the top of your head. I know I should have held in it. Yeah, don't don't give me that much. Either way, we'll be previewing that tomorrow. <laughs> uh, our our friends over at the Locked On Raptors podcast will be joining us for another exciting crossover episode. Um, you know, we faced the Raptors last season in the playoffs, so there's still some animosity there, I imagine, from Heat fans. But this should be a, a good matchup, one where we can gauge where we fit amongst the Eastern. I think a lot of people project Toronto and Boston to be the second best team in the East behind the Cleveland Cavaliers. So how we match up to this team, uh, you know, Hassan Whiteside had his battles with Jonas Valanciunas, how DeMar DeRozan will face Dion Waiters, Kyle Lowry versus Dragic. Uh, that should be a, an exciting game, I think. So a uh, lot to look forward to for the rest of the week. And it's in Toronto. So there you go. All right. That's all we got today. Uh, whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, Audio Boom, TuneIn Radio, or Stitcher, thank you for listening. Get in touch with the show on Twitter at Locked On Heater by email, where you can send us mailbag questions, comments, or sponsorship opportunities. That's LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. And if you aren't subscribed already, please do so to get the podcast automatically every day. Rate us, review us, say nice things about us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.